Hello. Greetings from an actual foresty part of London. I saw a skein of swans flying for the first time just a few weeks ago. It really thrilled me, so regular trips to water have been soothing, even as the months reach their coolest temperatures of the year here. Um, as well as sending my love, thank you for being here, and welcome to my first monthly tarot offering on abandonment and instability in stories. Well, explored through stories. I'm Rachel. I'm a writer, tarot reader, history lover, and I'm obsessed with the past. Obsessed with exploring the stories in us that will never die. Every month, I pull some tarot cards and do a reading for the collective. And you know, see what happens, see what comes up. This is the first piece of an 18 episode series introducing some early maladaptive schemas, psychological schemas such as abandonment, shame, mistrust, and insufficient self-control, and so on. Uh, we'll be exploring this with the cards. I'll weave in and out of film, literature, mythic legends, and a few gnarled, contorted folk tales that have seeped into our psychology, our physiology, over deep time through generations of oral and written submission. And if you're not into any of that, I've been told I have a relaxing voice, so alternatively you can use this to sleep. The other day, whilst writing my first draft of this offering, I had a flashback to a time when I was 12 I remember visiting family in Pampanga, in the central Luzon region of the Philippines. The air there feels like hot concrete pressing against your skin. But in this memory, it's night, a bit cooler, and I'm at a day of the dead ceremony in a cemetery. We're beside my mother's first husband's grave, and I guess sort of honouring through ritual, through the reenactment of something mythic in the simplest sense, our commitment to memories and love. I was 12 at the time, so they really didn't tell me what was going on much, but I definitely felt something being there. When I got my first tarot reading, it was the first time in a long time I felt something different, Ace of Cups. I've heard the aces in tarot being referred to as gifts, and variety is key to keeping us on our cognitive toes, so to speak, so I'd like to dig deeper into that kind of area today, but quite loosely, so let's just see where this goes. That cemetery of the mind place, the place where abandonment can live, and where we can deeply bury our own intuitions. 
So, I'm going to get us in the mood a bit with a fun quote from a Zen master who quite literally religiously studies Carl Jung. Welcome to the unconscious. You haven't come here by chance. Let the unconscious guide you. Because the unconscious knows. I've been reading a retelling of an old Inuit tale, The Huntress by Martin Shaw. It's about a fierce woman with more strength than almost anyone around her. And I mean that. People really did think and see how strong she was. She was confident, beautiful, and able to trust her intuition. People in her village saw that. The boys, the girls, her father who loved her very much, but didn't know how to really show her what the next stage of life was about, saw it. She kind of had to figure all of that stuff out on her own. But he didn't say that. He encouraged her that the magic of this earthly realm was to be found in the arms of a lover. So when she met a lover, she thought he was a shaman, a man that would nourish her and grow with her. She never thought about doing that for herself. She found out through local town gossip some time after that he was planning to kill her that he had killed many wives before her. I read a children's telling of the tale. Some could think it a bit bleak, so here it goes. The girl's name was Sedna. When Sedna found out that her lover, her shaman, her magic man was planning to kill her, feeling utter grief, betrayal and confusion, she fled back to live with her dad, knowing there was no home for her with her lover anymore. In a flash, it was like she didn't know her own body. She knew what was happening, but didn't have any stable ground from which to tread when she left her marital home. She was leaving everything she had ever known, the tower. But the shaman lover threatened the father if he did not return her to him. So, cutting a long story short, the father chickens out. His daughter and he end up in the river in a boat and he pushes her into the river to avoid punishment, real or imaginary. And when she grips the sides of the boat with her hands, her frozen cold hands, her father snaps them off by beating them with an oar. She plunges into the freezing cold water and dies. Death. When you love someone enough, rejection feels worse than death. 
Sedna was abandoned by the people that she loved, and is said to have turned into the sea. Whenever there is a storm in her area, it's her. She channeled the width and breadth of her rage physically by becoming thunderstorms and murderous tides and being stronger than anyone around her, but impenetrable in many ways, the Emperor. Sedna never put herself back together the same again. We earn trust back from ourselves by proving that we are able to protect, not suppress the wounded parts, by making choices in our highest interests, deep beyond the surface of being swept into another person's desires. It is the acknowledgement of our most precious wishes that can help us identify unmet needs Needs that secure our safety, that ensure that we are being seen and loved. Few people in this world will pursue and protect these interests for you, if you do not. When we have earned our own trust back, by proving that we can be counted on to keep ourselves safe, we're so much more likely to require that others earn that trust from us too. This can be as simple or as difficult as telling someone no when you want to, instead of yes because you'll think you'll lose something. There's always going to be thunderstorms, so if we sink into the story a little and perhaps see it as her rage, becoming this unstoppable obsession, the devil. This unstoppable obsession for revenge. It got me thinking about this poem I read by Ocean Vuong about Jeffrey Dahmer and his obsession to control other people. Dahmer was also reacting to having been abandoned himself his compulsion was the manifestation, the root, the remote control to his pain. And he couldn't stop. Physician Gabor Matei, who has years and years of experience in addiction and has written extensively on the subject, He's got this cool saying, it's not why the addiction, it's why the pain. I'm going to read a sobering statement from Matei below on the effects of trauma on the central nervous system, particularly in children. Humans and animals require nurturing from a caregiver in order to survive. When a child does not receive consistent, secure interactions or experiences painfully stressing ones, maldevelopment occurs 
Early trauma has consequences for how human beings respond to stress. Trauma in children, such as physical or emotional abuse or abandonment, alter the child's physical stress mechanisms. And as a result, the child is more reactive to stress throughout their adult life. Studies of drug addicts find high percentages of patients have experienced childhood trauma of various sorts, including sexual and emotional abuse. Dharma couldn't pull his flesh away, couldn't shift the weight of his bodily urges. And even if he had wanted to stop, he couldn't. He didn't know how to spin the wheel and trust an outcome that wasn't in his control. Wheel of Fortune. He craved control, like Gollum craved the ring. As if it were the Holy Grail instead of his own personal oblivion. He required a blood sacrifice for all of the pain that he couldn't understand. Knowing the severity of his compulsions intellectually wasn't enough to suppress his appetite, even when he knew his actions were wrong. No amount of blood or flesh, sex or alcohol could be enough because he craved the feeling of control above anything else against his own best interests. He craved immortality through the control and fulfillment of his bodily desires alone, trying and always failing to pull the abstract from the concrete. I never wanted the flesh, how the flesh never fails to fail so accurately. But what if I broke through the skin's thin page anyway, and found the heart, the sun? Not getting what we want reminded me of something I read about dogs by Daniel Deardorff. The human emotional body is a dog. No amount of rationalizing, intellectual justification or explanation can move the grief, shock and fear of the betrayed emotional body. Only time and care can heal that instinctual trust. This is the type of secret that stops you in your pattern tracks your comforting but benign cognitive loops. The human emotional body is a dog. Oh, how grief hounds you, how fear keeps you out and up for some murderous lurking. There are three key stages in mindfulness, mindfulness, sorry, 
based relapse prevention, MBRP therapy. One, non-acceptance, looking for a quick fix. Two, negative reinforcement, thinking addiction is the way out of our problems. Positive reinforcement, finding solace and fulfillment in habits, rituals, activities that actually elicit pleasure by listening to the body without the downward spiral of judgment having its way with our faith and sense-making skills and having the strength to trust the murmurings of our guts using new sounds, touches and tastes as a springboard into chance trusting that some moments in our lives could become a portal to dimensions beyond our current expectations, beyond our current knowledge, beyond our control, beyond the pain. The step after that, I said there is three steps, but the step after that is life, it's maintenance, maintaining the good habits and understanding the habits that you don't like so much more respecting them asking them questions and if you're into magic here's a phrase I've been chewing the fat off lately from Israel regarding Magic is a series of psychological techniques so devised as to enable us to probe more deeply into ourselves. Tarot isn't about knowing so much as it's about feeling what you know to be true to you, what you feel to be true to you. It's about seeing what's laid out in front of you and making a realistic assumption of what your options are then leaning into your intuitions and trusting them. Being abandoned can can sever the parts in us that have the ability to hold trust for others. There's so much material out there right now about following the gut, following the intuition, but very little is said of what that actually means and how we go about doing that. Sedna dreamed of the sea a lot, then she became it, not in the way that she had intended or even wanted to, I believe. She provided nourishment for others but asserted her boundaries when she felt it was right. Her sacrifices were many and cost her almost everything she once thought to be true. Some could think the story of Sedna Bleak. Some could choose to see a story of how one deals with loss and change. How the body feels like it could drown in pain and rage when the rug has been pulled out from under our feet. How we patch up our flesh houses after a sudden flood. So a quote to sum up how I've ended this from Al Pacino in a TV series 
called Angels in America. Angels in America. He's talking to a justice archetype character about what he feels in himself to be the truth. What the fuck do you think this is? This is gastric juices churning, enzymes and acids. This is intestinal, is what this is. Bowel movement and blood red meat, this stinks. This is politics. This is the game of being alive. And you think you're above that? You're on earth, goddammit. Plant a foot. Stay a while. Here's my best attempt right now to leave you with something hopeful, something to chew upon. When the writer Elizabeth Bishop died, they engraved onto her tombstone. So these are these some words from her poem, some of her poetry. They engraved onto her tombstone the words All the untidy activity continues Awful But cheerful And if you're still here Thank you for listening Thank you for being here And if you like what you heard Then I hope to see you next month Thank you, take care